is a great lesson for everybody listening is if you're taking the mindset of I have to into your workout, you're missing the point, right? Take a mindset of curiosity, take a mindset of exploration and take a mindset of, of focus and depth into your workout, right? So what does depth mean, right? So the world we live in is very superficial. It's very focused on breadth rather than depth. If I could give you guys a piece of advice, i give you an example, actually. I had a gentleman who's in my coaching team came up last weekend and he's here for four days. And normally in the workouts that I prescribed for him, he's probably doing 12 to 15 sets per body part, which is a lot. He's a big guy, muscular guy. And uh, he's like, oh man, you know, I think I can do more. I'm not really in time constraints. I'm like, okay. So how many sets do you think we did when he was here? One. And he was destroyed, right? So what was the difference? Quality and depth, right? Not, depth isn't in the literal sense of like squatting deeper. It's like, how far are you taking a set, right? It's like, normally the sets are very superficial. You kind of you kind of stick your big toe in. You're like, oh, okay, I'm done. That's enough. The focus is lacking. The execution is lacking. The ability to take the set deep is absent, you know? And so one of the greatest pieces of advice us as coaches can offer you guys is train depth, right? Train the ability to go deeper. And sometimes when we when we focus on breadth, meaning I want to do more coach, I want to do more sets, do more exercises. What do we miss? We miss the depth, right? We, we go, we go wide and not deep. And uh, when you guys learn to go deep first, your results will be exponential. So first it's quality, right? Has to be the, the prerequisite to it all, like move well. We can, t- we're talking about that today. And then it's like, how do I take a single set as far as I physically can? The exercise experience. Let's talk about that. So what, what I want to get into, whatever depth you guys are, are eager to hear. But last week, before we talked about preparing your body and your mind and your nervous system, right? So this week, I thought it would be a good extension to start talking about exercise selection and ultimately why we stop in the gym. So ultimately creating depth once you're in the workout. So last time we were talking about preparing for the workout. Now we're talking about, all right, we're in the workout. Exercise selection, how to think about training every set and every workout has a small number of factors that force the set to stop and the workouts to lack maximum effectiveness. So there's nuance around one, how do we select exercises for our bodies? How do us as coaches select for you? And how do you select going forward? And ultimately, even if you guys are seeing something that or, or experiencing something that we aren't able to see, and I'll talk about how you can do that, you can make our job way more effective by learning to be present in your body, right? If you can learn to be present in your body when you're moving, when you're training, when you're contracting, when you're lifting, and you can start to identify what's happening inside the body. Where do you feel tightness? Where do you feel strength? Where do you lack contraction? Where do you feel a great contraction? Where do you feel like you're losing stability or where you're accelerating? But to pay attention to the intricacies of movement is going to be instrumental in your short-term and your long-term success. So what I hope to point out today is, well, what are the things you guys could pay attention to? And why do we stop, right? So if I asked everyone, you know, the last time you went to the gym, let's say last time you did, I don't know, a dumbbell press, why did you stop? This is often my framing in my mind, right? This is how I learn how to choose complementary exercises. This is how I learn how to, how to choose how many sets I'm going to do. This is how I learn how often I'm going to do an exercise. Simply by one question, why did I stop? Think about what are the reasons why we, if I was doing an exercise, a squat, a deadlift, a lunge, whatever. What made you stop? 
And I'll tell you that I'll, I'll preemptively tell you that 99 times out of 100, it's not because your muscle failed, right? It's not because your muscle failed. 99 times out of 100. Sometimes, but the, the goal, I'll say this, the goal most of the time is get to the point where your muscles fail, like the muscle you're training actually fails. But I would say 99 times out of 100, for most people, it's not the case. And it's because something else fails. So you have to go, okay, what failed? Right? Did I lose mental focus? Did I stop because it said, you know, eight reps and I could have done more, but I stopped? Did I stop because my form started to break down? Did I stop because what I got distracted? Did I stop because I, lo- I ran out of oxygen? That's a very strong possibility. Did it, did I stop because I was breathing really heavy and I started getting the panic attack? Right. Like what, what is the, the huge array of reasons why you would stop? You guys ever think about that? Yeah. So if you don't start, start thinking about that. That's a really important thing for you guys to start on. It's like every time you've done a set, ask yourself, why did I stop? Could I have gone further? And I'll tell you almost unequivocally, the answer is yes. So here's the suggestion. We'll get into why you stop, but here's the suggestion. Before you put the weight down, you should always be in so much control that you can actually make a conscious thought. Why am I stopping? Could I do another rep? Could I do another half rep? Could I do another quarter rep? Right? Safely. Right? That's the level of intentionality and focus and, and um, control that you should be exuding in exercise. There should never be a time where you're like in panic mode and you got to throw the weight back or you throw the weight down. Right? That tells us you're not in control ever. So no matter what the exercise is, I mean, obviously, if it's like a max lift or something like that, maybe that's an exception. But in general, anything that's sub-maximal, there should be a degree of control that allows you to ultimately decide consciously in the minute. Do I step forward into another rep? Do I com- Will I be able to complete this rep? Should I just give it my all? Maybe I get a half rep out of it. Maybe I get five half reps out of it. Some of the guys have trained with me before, and that's something I'll often do at the end of a set. Like, all right, five more. Let's go. They're never full reps, right? But they might be full five half reps. And as long as the range of motion is adequate, like so, should, as long as the the muscle you're training is still adequate, like you're not changing the form, it's a useful thing. Here's the thing. This is here's another depth of question for you guys. Did, were you not able to keep form because your physical body wasn't able to do it, or were you not able to keep form because your mental uh, capacity wasn't able to do it? Here's why. It takes a lot of mental effort to keep your entire body completely stabilized. If you guys don't believe me, I can show you a little, little, uh, little practice right now. But the next thing you know, I'll do now, but it, it's way more challenging than you think. All I want you to know now, but next time you go to the gym, before you start, all I want you to do is stand in what's called the anatomical position, which is literally standing like this. So my hands are facing toward you guys. Palms are facing this way. Well, that way. So stay standing face up or uh, palms facing forward, hands are open down to my sides. And I'll pull my, my pelvis into a posterior pelvic tilt so it's neutral. You have to do it sitting, but you can do it when you're standing next time. And so you're pulling your butt kind of down so if your glutes contract. You push into the ground, you brace your abdominals, drop your shoulders away from your ears to engage your lats. You, you just, you're basically, bra- you're bracing everything in, in your trunk. So basically from your, your lower ribs, to your pelvis and by pushing into the ground, try it and try to try to hold that for 60 seconds. And what you'll notice is it's very, very fatiguing to hold yourself and simply not move, right? Not move effortfully though, right? 
So it's not effortless lack of movement. It's effortful movement, effortful absence of movement, meaning if I was to come and push you from the side, you wouldn't move, right? So if you came beside me and pushed me right now, I'm completely stabilized, right? I'm internally stabilized. That's energetically very demanding, very, very demanding. And if it's energetically demanding, guess what? It's mentally demanding. And most of us lack the mental fortitude to stand there in, in the absence of movement with tension for a long time. Ito actually used a great example. He said, uh, if someone can meditate, they have, they're typically thought to have great focus, right? But he said, how about if I took a meditator and I said, I want you to hold a pencil like this. I want you just to hold it in the air. So start like that. And he goes, and so the first step is like, hold it for five seconds. Can't even do it for one. And then he said, okay, then hold it for 10 seconds. Then I want you to hold it for a minute. And then I want you to hold it for an hour. It's a, it's a different game, right? When you, when you change the parameters of focus, it completely changes your ability to focus. So I, I think it's a really interesting endeavor to practice focus in different ways. Each of you can, can think of maybe, maybe an area of your life where you, you have focus. It's very easy to focus on the things we're good at and things we love. It's sometimes challenging to focus on the things that we have to do or we don't want to do, like work or, or, no, or whatever, training sometimes. So practicing the skill or the art of focus is how we start to develop depth in what we do in our training. Mobility, stability, skill, strength, state of arousal, which we talked about last week, CO2 tolerance and oxygen delivery, and mental focus. If you don't have the prerequisite mobility to get into an exercise, you can't do it, right? Literal impossibility because you can't get into that range. If you can't then get into that range and, and not move in that position, so stability, right? Then coordinating action, coordinating multiple muscles to move in sequence is a skill. So if you guys want to differentiate between mobility is the ability to get into a range, Stability is the ability to not move and resist force. Skill is the ability to coordinate muscles to move through range, which can be completely different. And so one of the things that I'll share from Ido, Ido's on the podcast today it was very useful. I love this framing so much. Big container, small container. If you guys listen to him on the Huberman podcast, which somebody said they did, he talks about this there, big container, small container, big container, the way to think of it, or no, sorry, big frame, small frame. So Big frame would be an example of like a squat, a lunge, a deadlift. That's a big exercise, right? There's a lot of stuff happening. But if you look at the nuance that's happening within every muscle, within every joint, within that exercise, that small frame. And so this, this orchestration of skill requires nuanced movement to be able to control positional strength. Does that make sense? So if I'm doing a squat and I ask you guys to go you know, all the way to the bottom and then come up one inch and then come up two inches and then come up three inches and then come up four inches, do you have the same degree of control and contractile ability at every segmental aspect of that rep? And guess what? If you don't, then you're not maximally challenging the muscle there. Remember, always remember, your objective right now in your life is I want to maximally challenge this muscle, right? So the nuance within that matters which means when a muscle is fully lengthened, it has a different ability to produce force than when it's mid-range, than when it's short. And I have to challenge the entire excursion, the entire range of motion, right? So I guarantee most of you train in what I call strobe light fashion. It's like, 
it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. It's like fluttering rather than a spotlight, right? Where it's like, that muscle goes on, it doesn't turn off. And that's really what you want to aim for is like the ability to first isolate a muscle, specifically make sure it's doing the greatest amount of work that requires you having the mobility and stability to get there. Second, how do I generate as much force out of this thing as I possibly can? Then the last thing is time. The construct of time gets added, right? So think of it like magnitude and duration. So we have magnitude on the x-axis, duration on the y-axis, right? So I have to, I have to, I, I strive to, I don't have to, but I strive to first increase magnitude, which is like how much and then how long. And magnitude is not just a factor or function of load. Magnitude can absolutely be a function of, I'll give an example. So when I say magnitude, people think, oh, I put more weight on the bar. No, not just that. Here's an example. If I were to put a hundred pound dumbbell on the floor, when I've just bent over to pick it up, I could, without thinking about it, I'm going to walk up really close. I'm going to bend over with my legs and grab with both hands. I'm going to lift it, right? That's path of least resistance, right? Body goes, I can use all these muscles. I'm using my claws. I'm using my glutes. I'm using my hamstrings. I'm using my erectors. I'm using my biceps, using my triceps, all of it, right? My lats, all, all of it's involved. Now, what if I walked up to it, but I didn't walk all the way up to it. I stopped two feet away and I didn't bend my knees. And I just bent over at the hips and I picked it up with my arm and I, I've kind of picked it up more with my with my my legs and back straight. Does that change the the amount of muscle that is being used to lift this thing completely? Same load, same same end result, different path, right? So what was in the middle is different. So even though the beginning and the end may look the same, like from from the dumbbell being on the ground to the dumbbell being in the air, it's a very different path using a different sequence of muscles and a different percentage of each muscle. So then my job as someone training is to say, well, what position should I be in to maximally advantage the muscle I'm trying to train, right? So if I want the lat to do a lifting, there's a very specific setup that I should be utilizing to make the lat do the greatest amount of work. Agree, right? There's definitely a way you could do it to have make the lat do the least amount of work, which is what most people do. And that's the honest truth. That's not me being facetious. That's what most people do. Because they're, they're choosing the path of least resistance. But, w- but we need to learn how to set up for the path of maximal stimulation, not path of least resistance. And that's where the nuance of exercise comes in, right? That's what these coaches are teaching you guys how to do. Send us videos. We'll teach you how to do it, right? The coaches spend a lot of time with me and with people who have mentored me in the past learning how to do this stuff so you guys can learn how to do it as well. Right. And that, that's really what the, the, the gift of this coaching is, is being able to spend time with guys who are amazing at this stuff and uh, can give it back to you. Right. Can be like, Hey, this is how you fix this thing. And all of a sudden, right. The lights go on and the light bulb goes off and you're like, oh, I feel it for the first time. So this gentleman who was here last weekend, uh, his name's Kelly, super successful guy, great physique. If you see him with the shirt on and all of a sudden he comes here for four days and I guarantee over the next three months, it's going to be unbelievable what his body looks like. It's going to be exponential what he's ever done before in his life. He's been training for 25 years, 30, almost 30 years, right? And I guarantee what he does in the next three months is, is completely different. And so it's, it's learning to explore the nuance of exercise. And listen, weight is relative to what you're, you're able to control, which is then... So here's the way to think of this, guys. Your ability to build your pec is never limited by your pec. Right. That's a strange thing to think about, but not never, but almost never. 
limited by your pec. It's limited by the muscles that surround your pec, right? So if the muscles that surround your pec are in some way deficient or weak, they're limiting the pec's ability to contract. So it's not just, um, you know, the, hey, like I want to throw more weight on there because it's not just about how much weight you can use in this one path of motion. There's other complementary auxiliary muscles that are very relevant. So don't just, um, yeah, don't just fo- solely focus on the weight, although weight matters, no question, but you got to be conscious of percentages, right? And, and it's, it's impossible for me to give you percentages, but if you think of like my ability to move, so let's say I want to move weight in this direction, say I'm going to bench press or, or a dumbbell press or something like that. My ability to move weight in that direction is absolutely governed by my ability to keep my traps and my rhomboids engaged in the back. My traps and my rhomboids go forward, my pecs don't work. So it's important to realize there, there's some ratio there that needs to be balanced. So if you want to build your pecs, it's not just about, I need to lift heavier on my pecs. Oftentimes, if I'm being honest, not always, but often, it's more about focusing on that stuff so that this can actually do more work. And you guys wouldn't know that, but we know that as coaches and we can build that into your program, right? So it's our job to know these things, right? It's our job to realize or to know that training your glutes is probably the number one limiting factor to building your quads, right? People are like, what? Yes, absolutely, right? Glute uh, strength is very correlated with quad growth. So is hip mobility. So is ankle mobility, right? But we know that as coaches, if you have poor ankle mobility and you have poor glute, uh, hip mobility, you don't build your quads. It's literally an impossibility. So these are things we know as coaches. So we have to, we build that into your program and say, Hey, um, Matia's got really bad ankle mobility. That's why his quads aren't growing. Great. Well, we're going to build a way, build, find a way to build it in there with some seated calf raises or some, some Aldoas to lengthen out that muscle while he engages the front of it so that he can get, get into the range to be able to, to train those quads. Does that make sense? How many of you guys would like bigger lats? How many of you know that your ability to build your lats is absolutely dependent on your serratus? How many of you know that? And if your serratus can't shorten, your lats can't lengthen. And if your lats can't lengthen, you can't build them, right? Do you guys realize that every muscle is more effectively stimulated from its fully lengthened position? If you can't fully lengthen the lat because the serratus won't shorten, meaning you just simply can't get into that position, you don't build your lats. So one, you have to know that, which you just now do. Second, you need to learn how to do that, which most people have no idea. But guess what? Building your lats is not hard. You just don't know how to do it yet, right? And so that's why we're here. And guys, to be honest, this is the theory that I've come up with, right? Nobody's taught me this stuff. This is shit I figured out from 20 years of pain. And not well, some literal pain, but it's like batting my head against the wall because my lats weren't growing. And I worked harder than anybody. I was strong as shit. And my, I, my lats weren't growing. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? So finally, when I was able to like remove myself from the attachment to each workout having to be killer, I was able to step back and go, hold on a minute here. What am I doing wrong? So I learned the nuance of the movement. And all of a sudden, it starts to grow, right? So lat movement is not about how much you lift or how much you row or how, much, how many pull-ups you do or how much you deadlift. It's about how you do them all first. Quality before quantity. If I want to lengthen my lat, it happens in this plane, right? I want to lengthen you this plane or this plane. So both of them are useful. In order to do that, I have to upwardly rotate my scapula, right? So my scapula is this thing that says my shoulder blade sits on my back, kind of sits like this. In order to stretch the lat, I have to upwardly rotate. Effectively, I'm trying to get the, uh, the upper arm or yeah, the upper arm as far away from my spine as possible. It's this upward rotation, right? And to do that, 
my serratus on the front here has to be able to lengthen, allow this, allowing the scapula to slide along the rib cage. If it doesn't slide along the rib cage, the scapula will become limited and you won't be able to stretch that far. So the Latin never gets that full elastic property. So we want to engage the serratus. How do we do that? Well, we just literally load it, right? We can, we can do planks, push-ups, really anything that allows us to load protraction. So it's just like effectively this, right? pushing my shoulder toward you, that loaded protraction. And here's the thing, positional strength isn't transferable. Here's what that means. If I just spend time like this, it doesn't transfer to this, right? So if I want my, my serratus to get strong through the entire range, so it keeps myself in this lengthened, protracted position the entire time, then I need to train it in every aspect of that range. So you want to find ways to train protraction and this lat motion. So I've been doing it pretty, pretty um, religiously lately with overhead dumbbell presses. I think everyone in my programs has been getting overhead dumbbell presses, uh, but it's done this plane, right? It's here, this plane, not this plane. This, this is a muscle building thing. This is a shoulder function thing in general. Uh, and then, so talking about pec and the rhomboid, yeah. So pecs and your rhomboids also kind of work antagonistically. Serratus and your rhomboids actually kind of work antagonistically. So the rhomboids are what pull you back and down, and the, the serratus is what pulls you up and forward. So those things are antagonistic. And we spend huge amounts of time back and down, right? We're taught that a lot, but we're never told forward and up. So those things are antagonistic. And But as we said earlier, the pec is hugely dependent on the rhomboid and trap as far as its ability to keep retraction, at least at the bottom of the range. So here's the thing, guys. If you want to build your arms, if you guys ever read my, my body part guides, I just harp on this a lot. And, and if you haven't, maybe it's a good idea. They're free. All upper body training, all upper body growth is dependent on your scapula mobility and stability and control, right? So if you don't have the ability to immobilize, meaning like not move it, if you don't have the ability to mobilize, meaning moving it in all different positions, your, your upper body growth will be limited 100% of the time. Something as simple as like, scapular drills, scapular mobility exercises, spending time in positions that you feel weak, right? Always moving toward positions of weakness and never away from them. People tend to just ignore things that are weak. That's that's a terrible attribute for life. If you're bad at something, you move toward it voraciously and you get better at it fast, right? So if you guys are have the tendency to avoid things that are challenging, that's going to be your limiting factor. So when you find things that are weak, look at them and say, I want, I want to see this. I want to feel this. I want to experience this. And I'm going to overcome this. That's how we get better. Here's the thing. Don't differentiate upper and lower lat. It's almost impossible to do. It's not something you want to worry about. You just need to learn to train your lat. If you can find one exercise you do well for your lat, the whole lat will grow. Literally one. And so if you guys have gone through a foundational phase, there's a lot of emphasis placed on a small number of skills. Right, we do shit over and over and over and over again. Why? Because you got to get good at it. If you get good at one exercise for your back, the back will grow. Because then we can start stacking on top of it. Why spend time doing five exercises when you do them all poorly? Right? It's like learning how to play one song when you're playing a guitar. If I try to learn a hundred songs, I'm never gonna learn any. I'll learn one first. Right? Learn how to learn some chords, learn some keys, put them together. That's how you get good at something. And so it may be boring. It may not be sexy, but that's what we need, right? Everyone's always looking for the shiny red object. And when in reality, what you need is depth. You don't need breadth. So I'll tell you why. Here, here's a true story. I consistently did 17 to 20 sets of single arm dumbbell rows every back workout for, for I don't know, probably at least a year. 
And I was twice a week, 17 to 20 sets of one exercise. Why? I thought it was an important exercise. So I committed to it. It, it sucked. It was terrible. I hated it. My lower back was sore every time. I just kept going. I'm like, I'm going to figure this shit out. I'm, I'm a stubborn, stubborn human. Like, I don't think no for an answer. Like, let's go. Right. And so that, that was both a blessing and a curse. Right. I learned a lot, learned a lot about myself, went to the depths of my soul of not wanting to do something, but I committed to it. So I did it. I learned, learned how to do it well. It's very unconscious now. I don't have to think about it. It's just there. I don't think static stretching is pointless. I don't think it's nearly as useful as people think it is. Although I'll tell you, it feels good. And so one thing that I use it for, so if we, let, I'll give, there's a lot of nuance to this question and I'll, I'll go as fast as I can. Absolutely. It's not just proper exercise selection. But it's actually proper exercise execution and selection, right? So like doing an exercise correctly, where you're actually intentionally going into the lengthened position. And here's the thing. I can go into a lengthened position passively or I can go into a length at length and position actively with my antagonist, right? Meaning if I want to, let me give you guys an example. Yeah, I guess the pecs is a good example. So if I get to this position in a bench press, if I pull back with my shoulders, I create more length through the pec. Just one example. Uh, so you're creating length. So another example is hamstrings. Like if I want to lengthen my hamstrings and it's stiff like a deadlift, I'm actually contracting aggressively into the hip flexors in the front to really lengthen out the hamstrings, right? That's so much more. It's funny. I literally said that today to somebody. I was like, man, I get more mobility out of proper training than I ever have out of a yoga class. Like, and I do a lot of yoga and I'm pretty aggressive in how I approach yoga classes, right? Like I do, all, I do I'm pretty aggressive in my, in my stretching and I always end up feeling tighter the next day. And when I train correctly, I feel more mobile and more fluid the next day. But I'll tell you, there is some, some modalities of stretching that do work. PNF stretching, which I think we talked about last week or the week before, PNF, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, which is just a fancy way of saying contract and relax. That works. I think dynamic stretching works sometimes if it's done in a controlled fashion. And dynamic for me would be like, if I want to stretch my hamstring, I might do like an active quad contraction, right? So I'll lay on my back on the ground and I'll just extend my quad, extend my quad, extend my quad, extend my quad. My hamstring's going through, because when your quad contracts, the hamstring has to relax, right? Reflexively, it relaxes. So I want to get that quad as short as I possibly can. And by doing that, the hamstring's lengthening. I'll, I'll then say adding passive stretching or static stretching on top of those things, I think is the best way to get change. I do add a little bit in. I do them most nights. Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content. Leave us a review and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive muscle intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you here next week.
Thank you so much for tuning into Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Bikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.